You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Sunday. Isn't it good to be in God's house? Amen. Amen. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and on this day, we celebrate the birth of the church. This celebration started about 3,400 years ago when God used a man named Moses to free his people, the Israelites, from 430 years of slavery from the Egyptians. The Israelites had spent all of these years as slaves to the Egyptians, but through the power of God, he miraculously rescued them from their captivity. And just before they walked free from Egypt, God had one more miracle up his sleeves. He planned to send the death angel through the land of Egypt to get the attention of Egypt's leader, Pharaoh. But before he did, he commanded his people to kill a lamb and spread its blood on the doorposts of their home. And when the angel would pass through, he would see the blood and pass over that house, and they would be safe from death. Get this, only the ones that had the blood applied would be safe. This came to be known as the day of the Passover, and still to this day, the Passover is a day of celebration and reflection about how God passed over Israel and opened the door for their escape from slavery. Fifty days into their freedom... The people of God arrive at a mountain called Mount Sinai, and Moses receives the Ten Commandments, the law, written on stone by the very hand of God. This was God's plan to protect his people from destruction from a world overrun with idolatry. Pentecost means 50. And so that's why they called this new celebration the day of Pentecost, the day that God himself gave the law. And this day also came to be known as a celebration for gathering in the harvest, a celebration for praising God for the abundance that he brings. And that was the beginning and what is still celebrated today, but God had a plan. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, God had a plan. God had a plan for something greater than blood on the doorposts of homes and greater than his law written on tables of stone. Yes, it's true that his ultimate plan to free his people from the greatest form of slavery was orchestrated before the foundation of the world. He knew when he created humanity that we were not perfect and that we would fail. Now now would not be a good time to look at your neighbor. We are not perfect and we would fail. He gave one rule to follow. And that rule was disobeyed, and ever since then, humanity has stumbled time and time again. And God himself would come in the form of man, show us how to live, and then give himself as a sacrifice to cover all the sins that we have ever done and will ever do. Somebody say praise the Lord. He had a plan to come himself, and as the perfect sacrifice, die for all of our sins, apply his own blood to our lives and write his own laws, not on tables of stone, but on our hearts. Hearts that God sometimes referred to as hearts of stone. 
but by His Spirit He would make hearts of clay that He could mold to His will. You would think that that would be the end of the story. He died for our sins and said, it is finished. But three days later, He resurrected Himself from the dead and shows Himself to over 400 people over the course of 40 days. And then He tells His disciples that He is going back to heaven, but that He would not leave us comfortless he would send His Spirit to comfort us and guide us in this sin-stricken world. How many is thankful for that? So the new Pentecost would be about the giving of the Spirit. And furthermore, it's not only just for Israel, but for all the world. It's not only for select people, but for all people. It is marked by invitation to both men and women, young and old, every culture, every language, every nationality, and it signals the beginning of the last days. It causes us to look forward to the day of His return when He will come back for His people and once and for all rescue us. I've expounded on all of this history to bring us to this point today, the birth of the church. Happy birthday, church. Happy birthday. In the land of Norway, there is a valley... This valley is long and narrow with mountainous peaks that tower thousands of feet into the air and nestled deep inside that valley is a little town whose name I'm not sure I can pronounce. This village has existed for over a hundred years and in this beautiful little town known for its many different things, it, uh, it does have one very small problem. Because the walls of the mountains rise so high above them from September through to March, the sun is completely blotted out, and the city is in its shadow for over half the year. And despite its beauty, this lovely village has been a very dark and dismal place to live, and that's the way it was up until about four years ago, when they found a way to pipe sunlight down into the valley. They raised $850,000 and built three state-of-the-art mirrors to reflect the sun's rays down into the village square and illuminate about 2,000 square feet of the town. The computer-powered mirrors, they shift every 10 seconds and follow the pattern of the sun, tracking its movements, reflecting the light back to the village. It took a lot of energy and a lot of effort to pipe sunlight down into their shadowed land. And as amazing as that is, about 2,000 years ago, God invested all of himself to bring the light of the world to our dark world. And it all happened on the day of Pentecost. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven. Before he does, he tells his disciples to go to an upper room in Jerusalem and wait for what he has promised. And we read about this encounter right now in, in Acts chapter 2, and it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The day of Pentecost was a powerful day. We read about the sound of a mighty rushing wind of tongues of fire and of the apostles being able to speak in tongues so that everybody who was there from various 
nations around the world could hear the disciples tell of the wondrous power of God. What we're seeing in Acts chapter 2 is fireworks display. This was God getting the attention of the crowds and drawing them in so that they could hear the message that would bring the light of the world into their lives. God does that a lot in Scripture. Whenever God wants to get people's attention over and over again, He does something dramatic and eye-catching. When God wanted to get Pharaoh's attention, He set off fireworks. God did things in Egypt that they'd never seen before because God had a message for Pharaoh and wanted to get his attention. There was lightning, fire, smoke, a loud trumpet, a voice from God thundering down the Ten Commandments. It was so scary. The people huddled in fear, but they got the message. There was the day that God flooded the earth, the the day he confused the languages at the Tower of Babel, the day the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, the day Daniel was in the lion's den, the day Elijah called down fire from the sky to burn up his offering and prove once and for all he is God. On and on and on we could go and we could say throughout Scripture as we read these stories that God has a flair for the dramatic. He seems to love the theatrical because it gets our attention. And that's what God was doing at Pentecost. He had something he wanted people to see, something he wanted them to understand, and he was shooting off fireworks to get their attention. But what was it that he wanted them to see? What was it that he wanted them to understand? Well, first of all, God wanted them to see that he'd had a plan for this all along. See, God could have picked any old day to do what he wanted to do, but he picked Pentecost as the day to start his church. Why? One reason was that by picking that day, God was guaranteed to have a huge crowd. Pentecost was one of the three great festivals in in, uh, Judaism where God's people were required to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Journey there however long it took to get to this festival. Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles were the other two. And it was commanded in the law that people had to show up. They didn't have a choice. So God was going to have a big crowd. And secondly, God chose Pentecost because it had always been God's plan to use this date to kick off His church. In Scripture, Pentecost went by several different names. Pentecost, of course. The Feast of Weeks, we can see in Exodus chapter 34 and Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Feast of the Harvest in Exodus chapter 23. And the Day of First Fruits in Numbers chapter 28. Under the Old Testament, this was the time when God's people celebrated the first fruits of their wheat harvest. They were thanking God for everything that He supplied, for the crops in their fields, and they came to Jerusalem to offer special offerings at the temple. And then they celebrated. They sang, they danced, they feasted before God. They celebrated God's kindness to them. This was the day of first fruits, and God deliberately chose this day to celebrate the first fruits of the church, if only they knew what he was about to provide. Hallelujah. Because in that upper room, the blowing of the strong wind reminds us of Jesus' words to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. The wind blows where it wills. And you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Wind is seen as the breath of God. And God is reminding us of creation when He breathed into mankind and we became living souls. 
And so now on this new Pentecost, a new creation is occurring. God is birthing the church. God is recreating humanity with the life of the Spirit. A very dramatic moment. And you and I get to be a part of this incredible plan. And then we see fire. Fire, it speaks of purity and presence. Think of God calling Moses at the burning bush to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. Take off your sandals, Moses. The place where you're standing is holy ground. Think of Exodus once again as God does lead them out and he leads them with a pillar of fire by day, pillar of cloud by night. And so the presence of these individual flames of fire danced over the heads of the 120 that were in that upper room that day. And then resting on each of them, it speaks of God's holiness, his presence, his power. And when we continue this story in Acts chapter 2, people started to gather around because they heard this commotion that was going on. I grew up in the country. I know what this is about. If there is more than one car that goes down the road at any given time in the country, you're like, what is going on? There must be a party or fire. Maybe somebody's in trouble. And how many has ever done this? I don't really need a show of hands. But you follow sometimes. You get out and you follow. If you see an ambulance go somewhere, maybe that doesn't happen in the city. But in the country, it does. Not a lot of things happen. And so... Oh my goodness, everybody get into the car. Everybody get into the car. Let's see where they're going. And so you end up following this. And so I understand this context. I understand what the commotion would have created in this scene in Jerusalem. They hear people speaking in all different languages that they understand all at the same time. And so they ask themselves the question what does this mean? What? meaneth this and then they accuse these people that are gathered in this room of being drunk and the apostle peter he stands up with the other disciples and begins preaching to them what they are witnessing says in verse 14 but peter standing up with the 11 stands up with all the disciples lifted up his voice and said unto them ye men of judea and all ye that dwell at jerusalem be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the thir third hour of the day. But this is that, that's what pastor preached on this morning, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter himself is a case study of what can happen when the Spirit empowers God's people. He has this explosive personality and has a hard time controlling his tongue, but under the power of the Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, God uses Peter to preach the first salvation message. And so Peter stands up to explain this explosion of sounds and what is going on, and his audience is a diverse gathering from all over the Mediterranean basin. We, we can see this, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, that they came from Egypt, from Rome, from Arabia, from Mesopotamia. And Luke describes them as God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And you can see the potential ripple effect of these people bringing the gospel message home with them, becoming witnesses of what they've seen, what they've heard on this day of Pentecost. 
They have heard the miraculous works of God, each in their own language, verse 11 tells us. But they are also somewhat perplexed and have questions. So, so they ask, what does this mean? And a few cynics are quick with a poet. They are drunk, I tell you. Yes, there were cynics even then. Peter is unfazed by the response from the crowd. It simply provides him with a segue into what he wants to, what God is directing him to say. He says, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And he begins to proclaim to them that what they are witnessing is nothing, nothing other than the fulfillment of the long-awaited promise of the new covenant. And then Peter, he starts his sermon with the prophet Joel, a well-known figure in, Jewish, in the Jewish world, quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all flesh, all people. I will pour out my spirit on all, young, old, male, female, rich, poor. And one of the reasons why so many people, Jews in particular, had difficulty believing that Jesus was indeed the Messiah was because he didn't accomplish what they wanted him to accomplish. As Messiah, he didn't overthrow the Romans. As Messiah, he didn't set up a military kingdom. He came as a peasant born in poverty. His life comes to a tragic end by crucifixion on a Roman cross with his fellow Jews shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Not exactly the profile in their minds of a conqueror. And so in the minds of the people in Jerusalem, this day was no doubt that Jesus had failed. And that is probably why it's so easy for them to turn from him and call for his crucifixion. I mean, who could come alive from a death like that? After all, no one ever rises from the dead. How could someone tortured and pierced on a Roman cross overcome death? The mere notion is ridiculous. And so you can see Peter has some explaining to do. What does this mean, they ask? What does this mean? It means that God has a plan to rescue us from sin. And this outpouring on Pentecost is part of his plan of redemption and reconciliation. He didn't stay in the grave, but he arose and is alive forevermore. And we are now 2,000 years into the era of these last days. And we don't know if there's going to be another minute or another century until Christ returns. Yet this entire period is understood as the time preceding the return of Christ. It is the era of the church and its mission. Well, what is the mission of the church? And so the last days, they're not long about how long till we leave. It's about how long do we have left to share what Christ has done in our life. The coming of the Lord will be good news for some. And for others, maybe not so much, who call God their enemy and mock His message. The prophecy of Joel says that there will be blood, fire, and smoke. The sun will be darkened and the moon will turn to blood. Ominous words that Peter tells them in this context. And so the Great Commission has urgency attached to it. We don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know how long before God comes back for His people. And, but be, and because of this, everyone needs to know. We have to get the message out to the whole world with urgency. And Peter, he connects this new Pentecost to the crucifixion of Jesus that happened just 50 days earlier. He says this in verse 22, Fellow Israelites, listen. 
hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counselor and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. I have, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Hallelujah, Jesus. Because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. It's amazing what God has done through the lives of these individuals as they looked on. And Peter, he begins convicting their hearts of everything that they had done. To the ones that had called for his crucifixion, he says, you put him there. You nailed him to that cross. But God has raised him up. Peter is establishing that Jesus is the Messiah and he is alive forevermore. And that it was God's deliberate plan. It wasn't ultimately a conspiracy of the Jews and the Romans against a peasant preacher. It was God's deliberate plan to save the world. And uh, Peter, he goes on and he, he talks about King David. He says, well, David saw this day coming. And Peter quotes David, David's psalm, Psalm 16. He says, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And Peter continues in verse 30. He says, he, David, was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. But God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. It says in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ both Lord and Messiah. What does this mean, you ask? At the conclusion of Peter's message in verse 37, it tells us that people are cut to the heart and they asked, what do we do? What shall we do? What do we do with all this information that you've just given us? It's a lot for us to bear. It's a lot for us to think about. He just accused these people that were looking on at, at this ongoing scene that they were the ones that had called for Jesus' crucifixion. And now they wonder, what do we have to do? They moved on from what does this mean to what shall we do? And Peter goes in to repent. Repent. And be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. For the remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent. Admit that you were wrong about Jesus and that you need Him. And maybe sometimes we don't fully appreciate the concept of repentance. And yes, it's about turning away from our sinful life. But more than that, it's about turning to Christ. Understanding who He is and what He has done for you and I on the cross. And then Peter says, you must be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins, and when you do, he will wash away every sin you have ever done, remove the weight of guilt and shame that's on your life, and then you will receive the, the gift of God's Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, just like it happened for the first time over 2,000 years ago. He's still doing it today. I know because he did it for me. 
I know because Peter doesn't end these instructions without speaking to who his audience is. He immediately gives an altar call and says in verse 39, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's a promise for you. It's a promise for your children. It's a promise for your grandchildren. As many generations as the Lord will call. God wants us a part of this. He wants you a part of this. You say, well, I've never belonged anywhere before. You belong in his church. It's for you, for your children, for your children's children, as many generations that the Lord our God shall call. 3,000 accepted Peter's message and were filled that day. If I could have the music come back at this time. You know what is so unique about this, so intricate, the way that God works. Nothing is done by coincidence. Nothing is done by surprise, but he has it all planned out. The first Passover took place the last night Israel was in Egypt. They were to prepare their meal and be packed and ready because the next day they were leaving town. Fifty days later, guess where they were? They were standing around the base of the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. Moses went up the mountain, received the Ten Commandments from God, and 40 days later, he came down to find that the people were doing a lot of stuff that they shouldn't be doing. They had made a golden calf and were worshiping it, and God, it got God mad. And it also got Moses mad, and Moses, he broke the tablets that held the commandments of God. Then Moses went down into the camp had the calf ground into powder and mixed it into the water and made the people drink it. Gold water would not be good, I'm sure. And at that point, Moses calls for those who were on the Lord's side to come and stand beside him, and the whole tribe of Levi seems to have joined him. But the ones who did not ended up dying. Do you know how many died that day? The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 32, verse 28, it says, And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And shortly after the first Pentecost, about 3,000 people are killed. That's what sin does. It brings death. But on the last Pentecost found in Scripture, 3,000 are saved. That day there were 3,000 people who followed God's plan for salvation and the church began. So happy birthday, church. Happy birthday. Can we all stand? Turn to your neighbor and say, happy birthday. Amen. Out of the outpouring of His Spirit, God burrs His church, anointed with purpose to be witnesses. A people who follow the one true Lord. The church is built on Him and nothing less. The light of the world What does the record show over the past 2,000 years of the church? Well, some of it was highlighted up on the screen. A lot of amazing growth. God has done so many phenomenal things. The church is expanding. And yes, it's been through the flood. And it's been through the fire. But the church is triumphant thriving in the face of persecution. We have churches in 238 nations and territories around the world. We have over 43,000 churches around the globe, but it's not enough. Somebody hear me tonight, it's not enough. 
God's still calling people. He's still pulling on people's hearts to become pastors and teachers and evangelists and missionaries. People that'll go into all the world and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ who have never heard it before. We need preaching points and churches in every village, every town, every nation because people need to know that Jesus, this Jesus that was crucified, He is the Messiah and that only through Him can they be saved. Hallelujah, Jesus. And if you've never experienced God's forgiveness, tonight's the night. He wants to forgive you of everything that you've ever done. And if you've never been baptized, we've got water ready. We've got baptismal robes ready. If you've never had your sins washed away in baptism, tonight's the night. And if you have never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's for you. It's for you. It's a free gift that He wants to give you tonight. And so I'm going to open up this altar. If you've never been baptized, I want you to come, come to me. If you want to be baptized here tonight, we can do it tonight. We don't need to delay it any longer. We don't know how long we have. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, we are so thankful. We're so thankful, Lord, that you've birthed this entity, this body that we get to call your church. God, it is your body that we're a part of. You're the head, Lord. Uh, but you've made us the hands and the feet to go and spread this gospel to each and every person around the globe. God, and I pray here today, Jesus, that you would let your will be done in our lives. God, I pray, Lord, for those, Jesus, that are turning to you in repentance that have never repented before. The ones, Jesus, God, who are calling on you, Lord, for the millionth time of repentance. God, I pray that you would be with them here right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. Expound to them your grace, Lord, like they've never seen before. God, I pray, Jesus, for the ones who are on the edge of deciding whether or not to be baptized. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you would prod their hearts. Lord, tonight is the night of their salvation. God, and I pray right now, Lord, that you will pour out your spirit once again, just like you did on the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give you praise for all that you've done, all that you're doing here right now, Lord. God, it's your church. It's your church, Lord. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.